The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. When it comes to cars, especially powerful cars, fast cars, there are kind of an upper echelon of vehicles that are like legal for you to drive to Publix, okay? Like I'm not saying like, there's like an F1 race car, like those race cars that came down to Hard Rock Stadium a few months ago. Like there's those F1 race cars, but I'm talking about the ones that you could go and buy, park in your driveway and run errands with. Like there's an upper echelon of street, legal, powerful cars. And one of those cars, is the McLaren Speedtail. I think we got a picture of that right here. Yeah, that's, that is a fine looking vehicle right there. And um, I was reading through the specs of this vehicle, about 95% of which I did not understand. But I am going to tell you a couple things that did make sense to me. First of all, the price tag is about 2.5 million. So like if you're looking for a new car, you've got that laying around, you might consider, okay, the McLaren Speedtail, okay? It's expensive. It's very fast, zero to 60 in 2.5 seconds, some say even less. But the thing that got my attention even more is the horsepower. This vehicle has over 1,000 horsepower. Now, to put that in context, I drive a Toyota Camry. Thank you. I will note some of you laughed when I said that. Like, just mean-spirited. Why'd you laugh at that? Okay, anyway. I drive a Toyota Camry. It would require five, at least, probably more than five of my Toyota Camrys to be able to have the horsepower that this McLaren has. Now, I can say that to you. I can tell you how incredible this car is. I can tell you about this car. And I'm pretty sure, like, of all those specs, most of you are like, yeah, okay, I believe you. Like, I bet when I say that this McLaren has over 1,000 horsepower, there's probably none of you sitting here in Cooper City watching online saying, I think he's lying. I don't, I, don't, I don't think that's true. I think most of you are cognitively accepting and believe me when I say that it has over 1,000 horsepower. Now, some of you might question it because you know my limited knowledge of cars, but that's a separate subject. Most of you are, I think, just taking me at my word. You kind of believe it kind of cognitively. But I wish that I could take that belief in this truth that I'm telling you about the power of this car, and I wish I could take that belief and turn it into belief. Like, I wish that each one of us could, like, take a test drive of this particular McLaren and drive it around. I wish we could each feel that. And, and you know, I, I can't take us all on a test drive of it. Um, I'm sure they wouldn't even allow me to drive something like this. But I can at least help you, and I can at least ex- get into the experience and feel a little bit the power of the McLaren Speedtail. So I want to show you this video. Check it out. Yeah, did you like feel it on the inside when that thing zoomed by? Okay, 
So now your, your knowledge that what I'm saying about this power, it's a little bit more like you've, you've experienced it, okay? And now your belief is like, okay, yeah, that, thing, that thing's powerful. But still, I would bet that none of you are going to leave here and, like, text your friend, I got to tell you about this car I learned about at church today. You believe it, and now you believe it a little bit more. You've tasted its power. But I don't think probably nothing has quite changed in your life by hearing this. But I want you to imagine what it must be like. I've never done this. I'd love to do this. But I want you to imagine what it must be like to actually get in the driver's seat. Buckle in. I think that dude had a helmet on, okay? <laughs> and he's just going to Publix, okay? <laughs> Strap a helmet on. You start the car. Get your hands on the wheel. You put gloves on, okay? And you sit there at the light. My Camry comes up next to you. <laughs> I rev the engine a little bit, all right? And you just shake your head at me. And then you punch it. And as you punch it, you feel all 1,000 horses just lurch to life. You feel as those tires are just eating up the pavement. You feel yourself getting thrown back into the seat as you're barely holding on, 10 and 2, hoping that you don't spin off or do multiple flips in the air. Like, I bet if you had that experience in the driver's seat, your belief about the power of that McLaren well, that would be different. You'd probably be talking about that to maybe any stranger that would listen. You'd tell your friends. You would get an Instagram post of yourself by that McLaren. You'd be posting about it for a month. Okay, you'd be telling, you know, see that level, like, yeah, you know that it's got a thousand horsepower. You tasted it, but man, if you got behind the driver's seat and you really took it out for a drive, you'd be completely transformed. That's a, a type of belief that's gone from just kind of cognitively knowing to experiencing the raw power. Now, why do I bring this up? We're in a series called Under the Hood. And the series is looking through the first few chapters of the book of James. And it's saying, for those who are followers of Jesus Christ, it, we're kind of putting it like this. If you popped the hood of a follower of Jesus, a Christian, a disciple, or the word we often use, the ancient Greek word for disciple in the Bible is mathetes. If you were to be a follower of Jesus Christ and an authentic follower, you pop the hood and you look at the nuts and bolts, the components, the driving pieces, the gears under the hood of an authentic follower of Jesus, what do you find? I want you to see what uh, James says because he says something very valuable about belief and about faith, and it's under the hood of an authentic follower of Jesus. I want you to check this out. It's in James chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 14. If you have a Bible or Bible app, open to James 2. We're going to take a look at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? Now, we're going to pause right there. This is kind of the opening question that he wants to address, and this is a, a great 
question. I mean, it sounds kind of a churchy Bible spiritual question, but it is very practical into the, the nature of our lives. And let me just tell you what I mean by that. Maybe some of you are here and you would say, hey, this is, I, I'm not really a church person. I don't really come to church a lot. I, I'm not really very spiritual. And honestly, if I was really honest, I'm not even totally sure what I believe. I don't really know where I'm at with Jesus and God. I don't know if God even cares about me or wants to know. I, I, I'm not really sure what I believe. And if that's where you're at and you're at Cooper City, you're here or you're watching online, first of all, thank you. We, I just admire your courage for being here. You're welcome here. Glad that you're on the journey. But you may be asking this question. If I took that step and, you know, did whatever it is I'm supposed to do, start following Jesus or I become a Christian or whatever it is that you're asking us to do or the Bible's asking us to do, like if I do that, like what am I in for? Like what am I have to start doing? What I have to stop doing? And like I, and a lot of times the question is like what's kind of the like the minimum, like I just want to be like the 101, like just in, like if I, like what do I, like if, is it going to church, okay, how often, is it praying then, like, you know, like how much do I have to pray, what kinds of prayers do I have to do, do I have to be, like, I know I probably have to be nice to people, but what about that person I hate that I work with, like how nice do I actually have to be, and so some of you, you're, as you're asking questions about faith, I'm so glad you're asking that question. And you might be saying, what's, when it comes to the stuff I have to do, the works, like what's the minimum? James is going to ask that. He's going to answer that. The Bible is. Others of you might be saying, you know, look, I, I'm not a super Christian, you may say. I'm not like an apostle. I'm not like a preacher, an evangelist. I'm just ordinary, okay? Like if you, I'm just your regular old Christian. In fact, if you were to kind of like hold me up to all my coworkers, if you lined us all up or lined me up with my neighbors or my friend group or the rest of my family, like I would probably look very similar. I'm just your average South Floridian. I, I spend my time the same way. My kids spend their time the same way. We spend our money the same way. We, you know, we, we have the same goals pretty much as, a, as everyone else around me. I'm still, I've got the same things I'm after. Like I've got, I'm pretty much your standard South Floridian, but what I do have is belief in Jesus. Like I believe who Jesus is. I have faith in Jesus. Like that's okay, right? Like I'm just your average person, but I believe in Jesus. Is that enough? James asked this question. He's going to wrestle with it. But maybe there's others of you, and you would say it like this. Um, man, there was a time when I was on fire. Man, I, maybe you were younger, and you said, look, I, I prayed about maybe being a missionary or working at a church. I opened my life up. I was like, man, I was going to do whatever it took. And, and maybe you just say, I'm just not there anymore. I don't know what happened. Or maybe you're like, no, I know exactly what happened. Life beat it out of me. And now you're stuck at a crossroads like, maybe that was just back then when I was on fire. Maybe that was just youthful exuberance. Just naivety, because life, life will beat you down. And you're not sure what to do with other seasons of your life, like should I want it back? Should I look for it back or is it gone? James is gonna address that. He's, gonna, he's asking that question, what about faith and its relationship to works? 
want you to see what he says. I'm so glad this passage is in the Bible because it wrestles with this. And he's going to address this, and he's going to show a really interesting example right here. And it's an interesting ancient example, but it has a very interesting modern um, implications. Let's pick it up in verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. I want you to hear the example he gives. He says, I want you to imagine you're walking along and you come along a brother or sister. Now, he might be meaning like a literal blood relative that you come across. He's probably meaning you're not your family by earthly blood, but your family by Jesus' blood. We as a church family are, are blood relatives by the blood of Jesus that unites us all from different, all kinds of different backgrounds under the one unified banner of Jesus. So I want you to imagine you come across a brother or sister. And they're in need, like they're, I mean, in like basic desperate needs, like they're in a really bad time. And he says, I want you to imagine that someone says when they see that, they're like, man, I see that you need clothes and shelter, uh, but I see that you are starving, you need food, and you know what? I hope that for you. Like, can you imagine that in an ancient context, seeing someone on the side of the road and this person is walking down the street and he says, may it be well with you. May you have clothes and may you have food. Man, I hope it goes well. And they keep going. He's like, that's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, what has yet been accomplished? What an interesting example that may be more relevant now than ever. Because it's very tempting to feel justified like we've accomplished something merely by verbally stating we're for it. Someone, we see an issue that, man, we, we are looking on social media, maybe you see an issue that really, you know, like grips your heart. You see this, this video and everyone else has posted all these like weeping emojis underneath it. And you're like, oh no, this is gonna be, this is gonna be tough. And we watch the video and it tears our heart out. And then we are like, I have to do something as well. And then we put our weepy emoji and, and send it on. And he's saying, but if that's all we do, if all we do is kind of formally state that we're for good and against evil, he's challenging that. He's using that as a test case for what he means by works. Because, man, what it would take to actually clothe someone and feed someone would cost me time, resources, energy. And he says, let's use this as a test case. Works is when it costs you and you're giving up something. He says, and he starts, this, starts building this argument, faith without, that, without an expression of works is a dead faith. Living faith will express itself in works. Now, I want to read, what you, read to you what he says next, because if we're hearing this, there's the temptation to say, but like I, but I'm a believer. 
I believe in God. Like, I'm a theist. I'm not an atheist. I believe that there's a God. I'm a little fuzzy on some of the details. Or we say, no, I'm not fuzzy on the details. I believe that there is a, a God who eternally exists in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Like, I, I believe that Jesus uh, was and is God. The Messiah died on the cross, rose again from the dead. I believe. I want you to hear, James, and I don't want you to hear this chapter as condemnation. I want you to hear this chapter as urgent from a, a pastor named James who's grabbing brothers and sisters that he loves by the shoulders and speaking urgent truth to them. Look at what he says, verse 19. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. He says, let's use this as a litmus test. Let's go through what the demons believe. They know there's a God. They know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God in the flesh. In fact, demon-possessed people would run up in this Bible. They would run up and they would fall down and they would hear the demon's voice say to Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. The demons were more clear on who Jesus was than many of the people around him. He says, look, here's when it comes to belief, they, the demons believe, they know who Jesus is. They know that Jesus came to earth. They know that he died on the cross. They thought that was their greatest moment of triumph. And they also shudder at the reality that he came back to life, rose again from the dead, and the Son of God defeated sin and death itself on behalf of humanity and for all of creation, releasing it from the curse. They know all of that. The demons are clear. And they shudder. Because Jesus is their enemy and they know how powerful he is. So James is being really clear. I mean, this is one of the most fiery passages from the entire book of James. And thank you for saving it for me, guys, when I got back. It's the first one that I have to preach. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. It's one of the most fiery passages in the book of James. She says, look, yeah, there's belief. But see, the demons have a type of belief. Satan has a type of belief where he cognitively knows it's true. He's never gotten in the driver's seat and let it transform his existence. See, here's what he says. Let's keep reading. Let's finish out this passage. We'll pick it up in, in verse 20. Do you want to be shown a foolish person that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Wow, what is he saying? 
He's saying true living faith, an actual true alive faith will necessarily flow out into works. Well, wait a minute. Time out. That seems like it contradicts other parts of what the Bible says. I mean, doesn't the Bible say we're, we're clearly, I mean, doesn't the Bible clearly say we're saved by faith and not works? Like, what is it saying? Yes, here's what he's saying. Let me give you an example. Um, several years ago, I was on an airplane. And I love the takeoff of an airplane. Because what happens is they start taxiing, you can hear the AC running, and it's like this gentle white noise. And then all of a sudden, as it starts to go, the, the, the airplane, it starts to rumble and shake. And then as it lifts off, I'm kind of thrown back into my seat. And I almost always fall asleep on the takeoff. It's like perfect napping conditions, okay? It's like I'm being gently rocked to sleep, pushed into my chair, and I kind of fall asleep. Like the only better napping conditions is like a rainy afternoon, okay? Like that's like the top, but like a takeoff of an airplane, it's just, ah, I almost always fall asleep, okay, as I'm taking off in the airplane. So anyway, I was in this airplane, and I look over several seats over, and um, someone on the other side and I'm about to get comfortable for like the best nap I've had in a month, okay? But I look over and I see this woman's hands. And she's just gripping. I just see like her, her, her knuckles, like white. And I just see her gripping the edges of that seat, okay? And then I look up and I see her eyes just just squinting shut, okay? And I just see perspiration coming down her face. And man, bless her heart, I see this woman is fighting back, breaking into tears. She is so terrified, okay? Like, she is not close to sleep. She's close to blacking out, okay? <laughs> and I look at her, and I'm like, wow, I've, like, that is a completely different experience that I'm having right now. And I began to just think about for this woman, uh, on the other side of the airplane, I just think about like, man, what must have the last few weeks been like leading up to this moment? Like, what was it that had to happen in her life to get on that airplane with that kind of terror? I mean, this is, it's not just, you know, she didn't just go for a vacation. And maybe some of you, you're like, look, I know that fear. Some of you have that legitimate fear of flying or maybe other things that you have a legitimate fear of. And you can hear your friends say, no, no, it's totally safe. She probably heard that, you know, a dozen times from all of her friends while she's like, look, I've got this emergency. I have to get on this plane or I have to go for my job. I try to avoid it. And they probably all said variations of like, look, you're more likely to die by like a shark attack and get struck by lightning at the same time, okay? It's more likely that than die in an airplane. And she probably said the same thing she'd said for years when people said that. I know, I believe you, but I am terrified to get on that plane. See, I bet there's some part of her mind that saw all friends and family get on the plane and be fine. There's a part of her that believed but until she put like one foot in front of the other and got on that airplane and buckled in and held on for dear life, that wasn't real faith, was it? Because once that faith 
expressed itself in action, that's when it really became true faith. This is what James is saying. True, living, alive faith, it has to produce works. Has to. That's what faith does. True faith produces works. Now you say, wait a minute, but doesn't that contradict what the Bible says? And because the Bible says it's by faith that we're saved. Let me read it to you, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. I want you to hang in this tension with me. Here's what it says. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Listen, verse 9. Not a result of, what does it say right there? Not a result of works so that no one may boast. It is completely clear, Ephesians 2. What saves you for eternity? What takes you from unsaved to saved? What takes you from facing an eternity away from God to facing an eternity in heaven with God? It is faith and faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, is that not, didn't James just say the, the, the opposite of that? No, no, look again closely what James said. James 2.14. What good is it, my brothers, if some of you says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? James and Paul are saying the exact same thing. They're talking about what does true living faith look like? Paul says, look, it's faith and faith alone that saves you. But what type, what does that living, saving faith always truly produce? Well, it's not just James who said it. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you're saved. It's not by works. And then verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good what? For good works. Now look at this. This is incredible. James is an urgent warning. But Paul is to take your imagination soaring. When you're saved, you've been created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Christian, do you hear what that means? That means the works that he's planned for your life, God knew about before he spoke the universe into existence, before light burst onto the scene and he created stars and, and planets and night and day and before there were plants and animals and life on earth, he thought of you by name and the things he was going to accomplish through you. That's what he's talking about. That's the type of works he's talking about. You, you want to hear, we've ta heard what, what, um, what James has said about works. We've heard what Paul says about works. But can I just read you one more verse? Can I read you what Jesus said about the works your living faith will produce? This is Jesus' words over you. Listen to this and be stunned. John chapter 14, 12. Jesus' words, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, belief, whoever truly believes in me will also do the 
works that I do, and look at this, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. He says, and he goes on, you say, how is that possible if we kept reading? He says, here's how it's possible, because when I go to the Father, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God is going to be come down upon you and is going to be inside of you. Christian, what's under the hood? You have your faith brings salvation, washing clean by Jesus Christ. All your sins are declared, past, present, and future, declared no longer on you. You're washed clean. And so while all of history looked forward to that moment, now we look back to that moment that Jesus accomplished that work on the cross. And because that's washed you clean, now you are a living temple housing the spirit of the living God inside of that's what's under the hood. You say, look, I, I'm just kind of, that's great. But I'm not like an apostle. I'm just kind of ordinary. If you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, there's no such thing. He takes these ordinary, everyday moments of your life and he turns them into extraordinary True living faith has to, must, will absolutely create good works. Why? Because can you imagine with me, Christian, for a second? Can you remember with me for a second, Christian, who it is that your faith is in? You have faith in the risen, living Jesus Christ. This is who. Can you remember what he did? Your faith is in the one who walked on water. Your faith is in the one who healed the blind, the deaf, the mute, the lame, the withered, the leprous, the demon-possessed. Your faith is in the one who, when demons saw him, they threw themselves on the ground and shuddered. Your faith is in the one who fixed his jaw, set his eyes on the cross, marched to the cross, walked into the kingdom of darkness and death itself, defeated the ancient enemy of all life, death, and he came out with the keys, the conquering hero. That is who your faith is in. That is what he's done. But your faith is in Jesus. Do you know what your Jesus will do one day from now? Maybe 10,000 years. Maybe 10 centuries. Maybe 10 years. Or maybe 10 minutes from now. The skies will slice open and they'll roll back like a scroll. And all of earth will see Jesus, the conquering king, like they've never conceived of before. Crowns on his head. They'll see a, a fire in his eyes. They'll hear words from his mouth. Revelation 19 says, words from his mouth, once and for all, speaking the definitive truth of God over this world, and it will be like a sword, finally slaying every argument against the word and the truth. 
because he is the truth. And he will stand there, but he will be on a war steed, it says. And behind him, he's not going to be alone. Behind him will be battalions and battalions by the billions of the warriors of heaven, one of which could slay the greatest army known to man. But they will be there finally on the verge of the battle they have been waiting for for all eternity. And with a word, he will come galloping down at the end of time as we know it, but at the beginning of all all eternity when finally Jesus will thoroughly be consummated as the king that he is, the king of kings and lord of lords. That is who you have faith in. That is what Jesus will do. You say, who is this? I, I thought Jesus was like the, the meek shepherd that carried lambs around. He is, but that's not all who Jesus is. He's the Alpha and Omega who's eternally existed. He's the promised seed that will defeat that ancient dragon. He's the promised son that will march himself and be sacrificed for all of eternity. He's the lion that comes roaring out of Judah. He's the great I am that delivers his people from slavery and bondage and death. He is the true king from the stump that is David. He's the promised Messiah. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and he is the king for all of time. That Christian is who your faith is in. That's who your faith is in. But do you know that's who Jesus is? But do you know what that means about who you are? That means that you are forgiven once and for all. No guilt, no shame, no condemnation, no word against you shall ever stand. That's who you are. That means you've been called before the beginning of time with a mission and he will be with you, helping you, walking beside you. You'll never be alone. He'll always be with you as you are seeing things done in you and through you that is beyond all you could ask or imagine. This is what the scripture says. That means that you are no longer alone, orphans. You've been adopted into the royal heavenly family. You are a royal heir destined for all of time to reign with Jesus. That is who you are, a powerful prince or princess of God, a child of God. That is what faith in Jesus has made you. That's what your faith does. And with faith in Jesus, if that's who our faith is in, could we, should we not expect that what Jesus says is true with the Holy Spirit under the hood? Let loose the miraculous power of God in Pastorally, church, I believe that we're in a, a season, not just city rep, but Christians. And what's descended on Christians, not everyone, not all of us, but after the last several years, what's descended is apathy. What do you mean by apathy? Low expectations for your life, low passion for the awe-striking majesty of Jesus, a, a retreat 
into what's comfortable and familiar rather than the spirit of the Lion of Judah driving us forward for his kingdom. The Bible describes it as lukewarm. It's not hot. And there are strong words in the Bible for lukewarm. Because true faith in Jesus, how could we tolerate apathy? So how would I know if that's in my life? Well, in many ways, maybe Christian, there's sin in your life that you're kind of tolerating. You're excusing. You're no longer fighting. Some of you are in, there's sin in all of our lives, but maybe you're not in the fight against it anymore. But be stirred up, Christian. Sin is treason against our king. And it's drinking down the poison of our enemy into a destroying our lives and the lives of those around us that we love. What does sin do? It's not our friend. It's not something that we can tolerate in our lives. It's something we fight against till the day that we die, by, empowered by his grace and what he said over us. But what does sin do? Look at the mangled, unrecognizable figure on the cross who died for us. That is a picture of what sin does. Re-engage the fight, Christian. Maybe apathy looks like descending and in, into a different relationship with church, I think this has happened with many Christians in our, in our generation, where their, their relationship to their church is foggy. And what they've kind of settled back into is a more of a consumerist view of church. It's what do I want, what fits my preferences, what makes me comfortable. Christian, follower of Jesus, Church is not for you. It's an offering to Jesus. We come here to not wait for songs that we like. We come here to shout praises to the one who they're due. We come here not to wait for the sermons that make us feel a certain way. We come here because we believe there's a living God that wants to speak into our lives and we're opening our souls to speak and so Christian, if church is for the one who left heaven to come to earth to provide the only hope for you and me for salvation, if he traveled from heaven down to earth, then traveling together each week to lift up his name for his glory is a small request to walk in obedience to him. He's called you to be part of an army of dry bones that's been raised to life. That's who we are. But maybe for some of you, you're, it's your hope that's waned. And you're beaten down. It feels like, look, I want to have that kind of, but I just have so much against me. I've been through so much. I have so, I, I just, everything is stacked against me. I'll never get over it. I'll never have that victory. I'll never have that triumph. I'll never, I'll never see the redemption that I'm waiting for. It's just, I'm waiting and waiting and waiting, and it just all keeps dogpiling and dogpiling, and my hope and expectancy of seeing the miracles work through my life is gone. But Christian, you have a hope. It's a person. It's a living hope. Jesus Christ, hold fast to your hope. 
stir up and kindle up your expectations. He's put the spirit of the living God in your heart to stir up your unshakable faith and hope that God is at work in your life and that God has works that are beyond what you can ask or imagine and he's planned them before the beginning of time. Now, some of you may say, look, I hear what you're saying, but I, I, I feel like my faith is not like a McLaren I feel like my faith is like a Vespa scooter. And you say, look, I feel like I, I'm a Vespa scooter, and I've just put the McLaren tag on the front of my Vespa scooter because I know what you're saying under the hood is a Vespa engine. No, no, it's not a Vespa engine. It's a McLaren engine, but no, no, it's beyond. The power is beyond what you can imagine. In fact, um, if, you, if you were thinking about cars and the power that he's placed under your hood, it's probably not like a McLaren engine. It's probably something more like this. Check this out. I told our tech director, I don't, I want people to feel, I don't want their ears to bleed, but right up to that point, okay? I want you to feel it. The power under your hood. It's the spirit that ho hovered over the chaos and the void of Genesis 1 before the thunderous word of God started speaking things into existence. He's put that in you. No more apathy. No more low expectations. No more minimum works. Let's walk forward together, watching the miracles he does in our hearts and in our city and in our families and in our churches. Let's watch what he does because he's called us to those works. Let's go before the Lord and pray. Can I ask and be just a pastor to you today? Would you come to a point of decision? Some of you, we, we used to call it back in the day, rededicate your life. That was a word that's used. Some of you need to just, it's not that you're not saved, but you need to recapture the fire and surrender again. Is that you? Some of you, some of you has, has taken the title Jesus Christ. You call yourself a Christian, a follower, a believer. What that means is you've made Jesus the king of your life. Not that you're looking to do works. No, Jesus did the one great work that needed to be done for you to be saved. He died on the cross, rose again. He exchanged his perfect, perfect righteousness for our polluted, sinful lives, and he's declared us righteous. We've taken on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That was the work you needed to be saved. Now walk in that power.
and make Jesus your king today. Surrender. I want to move you to a point of decision. Would you make that your decision? So everyone's heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Today, I want you to remember if today you're saying, hey, today's the day that I need to just recapture that. I need to rededicate my life. I need to, I need to change course. I'm a follower of Jesus, but I need to change course today. What I want you to do is before God, with no one looking around, whether you're at home or Cooper City or here, I just want you to slip your hand in the air and put it back down. Amen. Today, you're like, I, I don't know, no more just low expectations. I want to see the power of God surging through me. But others of you may be saying, for the first time ever, I, I think I have the same amount of belief that the enemy does. I cognitively know who Jesus is, but I need to, I need to put faith to that and make Jesus my king once and for all and find true salvation. I want you to slip your hand in the air and put it back down. If that's you, you want to make Jesus your king. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Let me pray over you. Lord Jesus, I pray for each one of those who are rededicating their life to you. Would you surge into them, Holy Spirit? Fill them, Holy Spirit. Prepare them for the good works you're going to have them walk into. For those of you taking a step to find true salvation and making Jesus, making you, Lord, their king. Lord, we thank you for this moment of true salvation. We pray that you would watch, watch over them, walk with them, that they would feel your presence in their life and feel the transformation you're already starting to bring into their life. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we celebrate with those who put their faith in Jesus today? Amen. Praise God for that. Here's what I want you to do. If that was you and you put your faith in Jesus for the first time, truly, then I want you to either go to guest services if you're here in person, which is uh, just out those doors. Before you leave, they're going to put a Bible in your hands. You can also grab that Get Connected card. Let us know. Check off the box. You put your faith in Jesus. If you're watching online, you could just click that box and say, I put my faith in Jesus. We will mail you a Bible. But church, we are going to end our time together by lifting up the name of Jesus. Boy, Jesus deserves all our praise, doesn't he? Deserves all of our praise. And so we are going to lift up his name. Would you stand with me as we sing? Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.